in Psalm 61, the Word of God says, Hear my cry, O God, listen to my prayer. For the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been my refuge, a strong tower against the enemy. Let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge under the shelter of your wings. Selah. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May be he enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Our precious Father, we come into your presence. We are grateful, O oh God, for this opportunity that you've given us here to be worshiping you outdoor as well as online. We thank you for the gift of salvation. And I pray, O oh God, that we would make much of our Savior, Jesus Christ, as we come to study your word. We pray, O oh God, that you would enlighten us, that you would open our eyes to, to behold the wonderful things out of your law. May my mouth and my, the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O oh God, my Redeemer and my Lord. Speak, Father, with clarity. Grant us understanding. Oh God, I pray that you would remove any distractions, that our hearts and minds would just be in tune to listen, to read, to ponder on your truth. Whether it be here in person, being outdoor with all the noise, Lord, I pray that you would just help us to block the noise, that the only thing that we hear is your truth, is your word. And even for those who's watching online, we pray that you would remove any distractions, things that they could do at home or wherever they may be. God, I pray that they will just be in tune and to hear your word. God, I pray that we would magnify the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray for this, for the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. We find ourselves today, and next Sunday will be our, our last, we will take a break from the book of Proverbs after Sunday, after next week. We will be preaching from, in the month of October, November, and December, we will be in the book of, in the book of Psalms. Because Proverbs chapter 4 through 7 is about, uh, chapter 5 through 7 is about adultery. So I want to take a break from that and just focus on um, the book of Psalms. I did not do that intentionally when I gave the schedule to Pastor Junior as well as to Pastor Nash. Um, I had an intention to actually take a break from the book of Proverbs um, after, the, after chapter 4. I was delighted this morning that we had our men's, uh, men's uh, fellowship. I'm thankful for Brother Junior for hosting and providing the meal for us. Um, I'm thankful for Pastor Nash for encouraging us and exhorting us through biblical leadership and what we ought to do as men, how important it is for, 
for the husband, for the fathers, for the men at home uh, to step up in their role as fathers and hus husbands. Uh, I pray that um, more men will uh, encourage not just those who are married as well as the singles, even young people, to learn from what being a, a biblical leader look like. And so I'm thankful for, for that. As we turn our attention to the book of Psalm chapter 61, the main idea of this chapter, when believers are faint-hearted, when believers are overwhelmed, God provides strength and safety in His eternal presence and His reign. Life, by its very nature, is filled with uncertainty. Amen? And that's something that everyone can say, yes, I'm with you, Pastor. You know, you've seen a lot of posts online uh, hoping that they could reset year 2020. But there's no such things as you can reset, right? You just have to go through it. When 2019 ended, we didn't know what would 2020 look like, but we trusted the Lord, amen? God has enabled us to go through whether it be pain and sorrows or joys. But for the last couple of months, we've seen difficulties and challenges because of COVID, because of this pandemic. But God is faithful. God is a sovereign in everything. Even with all the uh, social issues that we have faced in our society today, whether it be in California or in different parts of the world or in our, in our uh, United States, in our country alone. We see how people are responding with different chaos. There's just so many things going on and not a lot of people expected that that will happen in year 2020 and we're almost done with 2020. God allows us to make it. So we really don't know nothing. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. Life is filled with sorrows. And there are times when there is no one to whom we can turn for understanding, even for comfort, or even for help. Perhaps a, a loving mate of many years can suddenly be snatched away by death, or even walk away from marriage. A child can, without warning or expect, explanation, reject everything you have, you have taught them and break your heart. Financial security can be shored up overnight, leading to bankruptcy. As we have seen, when you drive around, stores, businesses are closing down because of the effect of this pandemic. A lot of people have lost their jobs. Perhaps years of perfect health can be wiped out with the words, it's cancer. Whatever the cost, many know that what it's like to have no one, no human, to whom they can turn for understanding. We have two options staring at us in the face. We can run from God or we can run to God. And so that's something I want to encourage you this afternoon is for us to turn our attention to the Word of God and how this really look like. That we don't turn away from God. Rather, in whatever difficulties or challenges that you face yourself in in this year or, move, or even moving forward, with all the certainties that your attitude and your heart, your desire is to pursue God in everything. Yet if you are a follower of Christ, if you are a Christian and have any experience of the Lord at all, you know that God is a rock to which you can turn. A rock higher and wiser and stronger than 
ourselves. We can run from him into sinking sands of sin and despair. Listen, we can run from him from our sin or despair or we can flee to the solid rock of safety and security, the God of our salvation, the God who is our rock, our refuge, our strong tower, our dwelling place, our shelter, the God who will establish and prolong forever the reign of His Son, King Jesus, as we would see in verse 6 and 7. So this is the solid rock where we, where we need to stand. You see, many of King David's psalms are prayers, are lament, on behalf of God's people when they're in desperate situations. But this psalm in particular, similar in style of when you read chapter 62 and chapter 63. It's a personal heart cry at a time when he was overwhelmed. When David was alienated and tired, he's praying for himself. The theme of chapter 61, 62, and 63 is a trust in God during times of troubles. The trust. As we have seen in the book of Proverbs chapter 3 in how God calls us to trust Him in verses 5 through 6. Not to lean on our understanding but to lean on who God is. That He is our refuge. That He is our shelter. That He is our God. When you read chapter 61, the background is, is, is uncertain. Though it appears David is away from his home in Jerusalem, as you'd see in verse 2, some believe he is on the run because of his son Absalom has pulled a coup and now sits on his father's throne in 2 Samuel chapter 15 through 18. If this is so, he is a king in exile. So it is important for us to see the context, the background of this chapter and what, what's going on in the life of King David as he wrote this chapter. Thus, King David asked for God to keep his covenant promise of 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12 through 17 to prolong the life of the king forever. What David could hardly have foreseen was the abundant answer to the prayer for the king. Don't skip verse 6 and 7 because that's so important how it relates to Jesus Christ and how he had prayed and that in, in his prayer for the king destined to be granted in Christ above all that he asked or even thought. God will indeed prolong the life of King Jesus. He will sure abide before God forever. The first thing I want us to look at, point number one, is this. Let the Lord provide for you. Verse 1 and 2. If you read verse 1, you would see here, the Psalms begins intimately and personally, listen, my cry, my prayer, my heart. You see th you, you'll see that in this chapter. It, it, it is fervent, it is passionate, it is desperate. One thing that King David knows, he can still pray and he does so and with confidence. And, and, and the question is, why does he pray with confidence? Why is he confident? Because number one, verse one, God will hear when you call. 
That's a reason for King David to be confident in his prayer because he knows his God. And the same thing for us. If you have a personal relationship with Christ, you know that God, God hears your prayer. Amen? So the thing I want us to see in verse 1 is the word, my cry. There's a note of pain. There's a note of sorrow, of desperation and despair, an emphatic plea for God's help. The situation is urgent, desperate cry. It's like an SOS uh, distress signal. Help! So this is what we see as David sees things. David really has nowhere else to turn. So he turns to the one. The one that we should seek first continually and last in any, in whatever situation. And that's what David does here. So he cries in prayer. He, uh, it's a cry of a prayer to God. David is losing heart and, and the will to resist. He, he is discouraged. The question is, why did David cry to God in prayer? Verse 1 answers with, this, with two words. Hear and listen. Hear and listen. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. So go, David is not going through an empty ritual of saying his prayers. Venting does not satisfy. Getting it off his chest does not help. He, he needs God to hear his prayer. He needs to for God to hear his cry. He, he needs God to listen to his prayer. He needed God to pay attention and, and take heed to what he heard. This is what prayer is about. It, it is not something or about saying the right words. It is about getting to the right ear. Listen to Psalm 34 verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. So church, it's okay to cry, amen? In your desperation, in your heartaches, right? When you are lost, this is what our attitude ought to be. It is for us to cry. A cry before God that He will hear our prayer. Just like King David, he was confident that God would listen and that God will hear his cry. When was the last time you prayed with desperation? When was the last time you prayed? I pray like this. In need. Not just venting out. That you prayed with, that you're in despair, that you would pray with sorrow on your knees. Just talking to God. Just to know that he's more than able and he's faithful. You know, it, it's such a joy for me to to be in this book in this in this very chapter. Last Tuesday, I had an opportunity to talk to my mom. Right? It, it was fun. I, I was just laughing the whole time. She was telling me things. The reason I mentioned that because 10, 12 years ago, 
I, I remember praying desperately in tears, begging God, just like King David here in desperation, said, God, deliver my mom from this cancer, from this stage four cancer, this ovarian cancer. I want to spend more time with my mom. I want to hear my mom's voice, knowing that I said, God, I did not grow up with my mom. Yeah, you're going to take her away from me if that's the case. Lord, extend her life. I remember that day. And at the end of our conversation, we were praising God. I was praising God. Praise God for 12 years that you're still here. So I remember those moments. That very moment. I remember there are other moments in my life that I have desperately called upon God. I'm sure you could. I'm sure you'll remember a time when you're in your sorrow, when you're in your desperation, in your pain. And that God heard and listened to your cry. Verse 2. God will lead you when you call. See, King David is away from the presence of God. Either um, literally right physically or even figuratively he is the king God's chosen and anointed and yet he's not where he is supposed to be and wants to be and listen to what he says in verse 2 from the end of the earth so he was far away like a remote area far country he feels far from God I have no sense or awareness of the divine presence. The absence of God overwhelms me. I can't go on like this. You, you seem to be out of sight. I, I, I can't hear your voice where I am. You are not. So David felt distance from God. And then he describes the spiritual reality in geographic terms. He says it is as if he has found himself at the most remote part of planet earth. Yet from the ends of the earth, David called on the Lord. You see, it doesn't matter where you are, whether it be in the specific place, or even in your spiritual life. Call on upon God, just like King David here. We could learn from King David. He called on the Lord. And the second part of that verse 2, and you see here, He alone is my, for, uh, verse 2 says, For the end of the earth I call to you when my heart is what? What is it, church? When my heart is faint. Indeed, there are times when the heart becomes overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, but this is about more than emotional response to difficult circumstances. It is total exhaustion. It is when one's whole being runs out of energy. It is to be without hope. It is without courage. It is without strength. This is what it's talking about. What do you do when your heart is overwhelmed? When your heart is faint? What do you do then? I praise God when I posted that question in my Facebook. There's a few that actually responded. Pastor Richard, he's the very last person to respond there, and he even posted a song by Shane and Shane. And others have responded with, a question, with that 
question and their answer was pray, pray, pray. And I'm thankful for those people that they truly underst they understand what that question was. So the question to you church is, what do you do when your heart is overwhelmed? When the heart is faint, you become tired physically, emotionally, and even spiritually. It is bad enough to be at the ends of the earth, but it's not so bad when your heart is filled with hope, strength, and courage that tell you, hold on, we're coming out of this. But when the heart is faint, when the heart is overwhelmed, it makes being at the ends of the earth even worse. Yet David says, from the ends of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Look with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Chapter 12, verse 9 says here. And this is, this is Apostle Paul. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, sometimes when I get overwhelmed, right? When you get overwhelmed, you, you tend to forget how big God is. You tend to forget how sufficient Christ is. And how the equipping the Spirit is in your life. So when you are overwhelmed, it, it's just too much things. You don't know where to go, you don't know where to run. And this is what we see, the content and the substance of, of, of King David's a prayer. If you go back to Psalm 61, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. I love that. And that's the title of our message, lead me to the rock. David understands that God's rock of protection is superior to anything he or anyone else can bring to the table. This rock is a metaphor for God's sovereign protection, which towers in comparison to any human resources. You see, God reigns from an exalted position over human affairs, and His protection will put David out of the reach of his enemies. David needed a true rock. The rock who is his God, his Lord. This is the rock he must have. This is the rock we must have. Not just King David to understand who this rock is, it is important for us to understand who this rock is, and that is God. The rock that is higher than I. This is a king who writes these words, the praise acknowledges the majesty and the greatness the greatness of our God. That God is exalted above in every, all things, over all things. This is the rock that King David is talking about here. Where is this rock? Who is the rock? David gives us a hint by using the definite article. He prays to the rock, not a rock. He, he called, he is called a rock three times 
in the Psalms, God is called a rock. He is called a rock three times in Psalm 62 alone. In Psalm 62 verse 2 and 6 read, He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress I shall not be greatly shaken. In verse 7 of chapter 62, On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. God is our rock. Who's the most famous rock that you know of? He's not the real rock. God is. God is our rock. He has proven this by sending us His Son to hold on to for eternal life. Speaking of His role as Messiah, Jesus told His disciples in Matthew 16 verse 18, On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. So when we're desperate for God's protection, we turn to Jesus and cry out to Him for the help He promises only, only He can give. Who do we turn to? To Jesus Christ. Jesus is the rock of God who provides not only the most powerful place of protection available, but also the only permanent protection. He provides that eternal protection when people put their trust in Him. For those who know Christ, you understand that He is the rock in your life, no matter what's going on in your life. But if you do not know Christ, all this protection will not make sense. You will not understand how real this protection is, unless you have a personal relationship with Christ. That is something that you must have in your life. Quoting from Isaiah, Apostle Paul declares in Matthew 9.33, The one who believes on him will not be put to shame. As stated in Romans 9.33. But in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 16, if you turn your Bible to Isaiah, Isaiah 28 verse 16 Therefore thus says the Lord God Behold I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure foundation whoever believes will not be in haste 1 Peter chapter 2 all the way to the end 1 Peter chapter 2 in the New Testament here. First Peter 2, verse 6 through 8. The Word of God says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in Him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling, in a rock of offense, they stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. Whoever builds on the sure foundation of Jesus Christ will be delivered from the alienated situation in which prideful people will find themselves ashamed when they stand in God's presence. 
not so for those who trust in the rock that is Jesus Christ. See church, when we are in pain, or come in contact with someone in pain, David's example is a good one to follow. We can head to the rock that is higher or lead someone there. What a great opportunity for us if you know Christ as your Lord and Savior. You can run to the rock or you can help others. You can, you're, you're called to come alongside and point them to the cross. <clears throat> well, God may not take away all our pain. We can rest in the peace He provides and assurance that He hears our cry. In verse 3 and 4, <coughs> as you would see here, when storms of trouble threaten to overwhelm us, we can cling to Him in faith, thankful that our rock is our unshakable re refuge. Point number two is let the Lord protect you. Let the Lord protect you. Verse 3 says, He is your refuge. He is your refuge. For you have been my refuge. I want you to really remember that. That as He prayed, as He cried before God, here we see here that He is His refuge. God is a place of protection and safety, security, and peace. God is a refuge. In verse 3, David gives two reasons why he asked God to lead him to a rock, to a high rock. The first reason is because God had already proven himself to be his refuge. A refuge is a place of safety from danger. It was an ancient panic room, per se. A safe house where one fled to escape advancing enemies. This is our God. This is where King David felt comfortable that no matter what's going on, that he could run away from his enemies, that he could turn to God. Instead of running away from God, he ran towards God. Because he understood that God is our refuge. In Psalms 46 verse 1, God, God is our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. Make that. That's very emphatic call that God is our refuge. There's a confidence of who God is. It's a testimony of corporate deliverance when you read chapter 46. But here in chapter 61, this is a testimony of personal deliverance. David says, For you have been my what? You have been my refuge. When there was nowhere else to turn, King David found a hiding place where? In God. He found a hiding place in God. And when, when he fled to God, he, he discovered that no one but God can keep you when you cannot keep yourself. God is a refuge. Turn with me to Psalm 18, verse 2. Psalms 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take what? I take refuge. 
my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Psalm 62, verse 7 and 8. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is who? My refuge is God. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. The second thing I want us to look at in verse 3, that He is your what? He is your strong tower. David is no longer fleeing to a place of refuge. He, he sees himself at home in a citadel, a strong tower protecting him from his enemies. Proverbs 18 verse 10 reminds us, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to, run to it and are safe and literally set on high. The man or woman of God will have enemies. Not everyone will, will love you. Not everyone will like your post or will not like your personality. Not everyone will appreciate you. When they attack, run quickly where? To your strong tower. He is all-powerful. He is strong. He is your tower that He set high above all. Church, a refuge was a, was a safe place to hide. A strong tower was a safe place to fight. In verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. In verse 4, we see He is your dwelling place. God is our dwelling place. The image of the tent here we see. In verse 4, let me dwell in your tent forever. Where are we, church? Where are we right now? Physically, where are we? We're in, we're in a tent. Amen? Right? Tents, yes. Thank you. But this is what I consider the tent. The main tent. Right? See, he, the tent David mentioned was more than a tent. It was a tabernacle. The tabernacle was where the Lord met with His people. For the last nine weeks, we've been meeting here. Amen? We've been meeting with the Lord. Praise God. Just like back in the day, David asked to dwell in the tent of God. David's consuming and ongoing desire was to dwell in God's presence. God's sovereign protection through His presence has been made available to His children through His Son, Jesus Christ. And it, it looks forward to the Word who became flesh and tabernacled, pitched His tent among us. And you see this in John chapter 1, verse 14. Isn't that amazing? As you look at this tent and what King David is talking about, and just like how it happened in the New Testament in John chapter 1, verse 14. And the world became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. To dwell with this tabernacle is to live with God Himself. The tent is a place of domestic dwelling, a home to welcome 
of family, friends, and even strangers. David wants to be near God and with God as one who is welcome in the Lord's home. And he wants to live there. And you'll see that in, in Psalms 23, verse 6. So if you turn your Bible to the book of Psalms, verse 6 says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And even Psalms 27, verse 4, just to your right, One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. This seems to be David's focus here. As he prays to dwell in the Lord's tent forever, this ought to be a what? Our ultimate desire. When you read Psalms 27, you see the beauty of God's presence. What is that one thing? That David says, one thing have I asked of the Lord. Not all this stuff. What have we learned from King Solomon? What is that one thing that he had asked of God? Wisdom. And we see that in the New Testament. We see who's that? Jesus. As King David's focus is to dwell in the Lord, to be in his tent. Our prayer, my prayer for you as a church, that your ultimate desire, no matter what's going on in your life, is to be in His presence. <coughs> James Boyce wisely counsels, never fear to be intimate with God. God desires to be intimate with you, and is only hurt when you remain at a distance or draw back from His presence. I love that. God desires to be intimate with you. When was the last time you had that experience when you cried out before God, God, I want more of you. I want to dwell. One thing about ask, you know, we're so caught up with asking all these things, safety and all that. Provide this and that. I want this. What is that one thing that you have asked of God lately? It is to be in His presence, to be in His Word, to commune with Him, to be with His people. Verse 4, He is your shelter. Once again, the image of the protective wing of a mother bird is drawn upon. And verse 4 says, The shelter of your wings. The shelters of your wings. <coughs> Turn with me to Psalm 17, verse 8. Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, verse 7. How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of your wings. 57, verse 1. Be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge in the shadow of your wings. I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. Here you can also get a 
a hint. I cry out to God, most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. <clears throat> Psalms 91, verse 4. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. <clears throat> David says, let me hide in the shelter of your wings. And there's a pause there. The word Selah. Thank you. Thank you. There's a pause, so it's a perfect time for us to take a break, right? So when you see the word Selah, just pause. Meditate on what? What's the reason for pausing? Why is the word Selah here? It is for us to meditate verse 1, 2, and 3, and 4. For us to look at why is the reason why David was crying? Why, what, was the, what was his heart at? Lead me to the rock that is higher than I, so meditate on that. It's, it's so important that today we need to take a break. Take a break from all the chaos. With all the noise. Amen? When your heart is, when your heart is weary, when you're in sorrow. Right? I mean, uh, some of you pr probably perhaps have a place to run to. Your place of solitude. Amen? You may run to the mountain if, if you like the mountain here in San you know, or wherever. Right? Or you may run to the beach nice and quiet early on Sunday morning at 6 a.m. and just do that and run. Or even late after evening where there's no people. Or even in your own closet, right? Hide. Right? Or even perhaps just simply turning off your devices. Amen? When was the last time you turned off your device? Just to be, to take a break, to meditate. Right? When was the last time you turned off your Netflix or whatever shows that you're watching, right? I mean, when your phone acts up, you're like, oh, you can't take a break. We have to take a break. In verses 5 through 8, we see here, let the Lord preserve you. In verse 5 of chapter 61, he will prosper his people. I love verse 5. For you, O God, have heard my vows. You have gotten... You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. You see here, the blessing of, the, of this inheritance are, are reserved for every particular people. Those who fear, those who respect or honor God. This heritage is both now and not yet. It is present and future. It is anticipated and it's also definite. It is certain. In verses 6 and 7, this prayer for the king is destructive. You, you, you see in verse 6 and 7, look, prolong the life of the king. May his years endure to all generations. May he be enthroned forever before God. Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. You see, a lot of people, when they read this chapter, they tend to skip these two verses. And I don't want you to do that. I mean, it, it, it seems to come out out of nowhere. It, it, its connection to the rest of the psalm is not obvious. And the complexity of this prayer is increased by the fact that David shifts from the first person to the third person. See, we must dig beyond a surface reading of the text to see that the king is David. Get past the abrupt uh, transition David makes here and listen to what he says. 
this complex verses show us that what it means to trust the promises of God. We see this in how David prays for himself and beyond himself. David prays, prolong the life of the king. This is a fundamental request that people prayed for the king. Right? Long live the who? The king. Right? The stability of the nation was based on the life of the king. And that's something I'm learning from watching some shows. So it was natural for them to, to pray that the life of the king would be prolonged. Here David humbly prays this for himself. At the end of verse 7, David prays, Appoint steadfast love and faithfulness to watch over him. A king needs strong and faithful guards to protect him. But David prays that God would appoint two special guardians, steadfast love and faithfulness. And this is what you see here in, in verse 8, in verse 7. Human kings do not remain on the throne forever. David is praying beyond himself. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 13, God makes a covenant with David that he would establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Guess what? When you turn to the New Testament, this promise was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So one thing I want you to see here, the beauty of this is that what King David prayed and how God fulfilled and answered that prayer. In Luke chapter 13, uh, chapter 1, verse 31 through 33. Right, turn there and you see. The angel Gabriel tells Mary, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name. He shall call his name Emmanuel. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. David trusted that God would keep his what? Would keep his promise. All the more so, as King David had that confidence in how God will answer prayer, and for us as well. Amen? And we should hold on to that God will answer our prayers, that He will hear our cries. And this is what we see. Jesus is the ultimate proof that God would keep His word. In verse 8, back to 61 verse 8. I love this. So will I ever sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. The proper response to all this is clear. What is it? Worship. Worship. David makes two great affirmations. I will sing praise to your name forever. I will daily perform my vows. David says, I will worship you with my voice. I will worship you with my life. I want to do this when? Daily. Daily. I want to do this forever. Not just daily, but forever. You see that in his alienated and his desperate state. Remember now, you go back to the previous verses. And where King David was. And now he goes to the end and he rises. I will praise God. I will worship God. I will sing to him. Not just now, but I will sing him forever. So David promised. He makes a vow. A vow here. 
David promised to praise the Lord if he would deliver him. God heard his prayer and his promise and, and he answered. He, he made it possible for David to make good on his commitment. See, David does not want this arrangement to be short-term either. He resolved to praise God continually. I will sing praises to your name as I perform my vows day after day. Continually. The idea is uninterrupted continuity. Not necessarily eternal perpetuation. David is vowing to sing God's praises as long as he's alive and that he's able to sing. God's answer to protect him and prolong his life comes with a responsibility to be a lifelong worshiper. Amen? Woo! Let's worship. Right? Sing praises. Not just when, when things are good. Even in our difficulties, even in our sorrow, even in our desperation, I will sing God. I will worship God. I will sing to Him in praises. Worship God. It is a call to be a lifelong worshiper, church. More days to live means more days to praise. Amen? However long God gives us with the life, we are called to what? To praise Him. Let us worship Him. Sometimes we feel alienated from God, like He's distant and disinterested in our situation. As we cry for His help in those situations, we should always renew our vow to worship Him when He comes to our aid and answers our prayer. God deserves our worships and take great delight in it. Man, you know, there are times at home I love to sing, believe it or not, right? And my kids, even my wife at times, interrupt me. I said, don't, don't mess with my time. I'm worshiping. I'm singing here. Right? I know you don't like my voices. And that's okay. I'm in the car. I'm singing. I'm at home. Like, like they, 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 they tend to interrupt my beautiful voice. I'm an angel before the ears of God. Right? So don't encourage me to sing here in the pulpit. So I won't. Right? But church, in light of the troubles, in light of the persecution, in light of the affliction, in light of the sorrow, worship God. Find some songs that will lift you up and that will help you. Right? What is your go-to song? My song is, It Is Well With My Soul. I'm not going to sing that, right? Great is thy faithfulness. Amazing grace. I could think of all these hymns that I could go back to. But it is... An, an opportunity for me to worship God. When we wake up in the morning before we go to bed, it is an opportunity for us to worship and to thank God for His kindness and His faithfulness. God delights in that. And it is appropriate that we resolve to do it forever because that's exactly what we're going to do, right? To be doing in all its eternity. That's why we read the book of Revelation chapter 5. Turn there with me. Revelation 5 all the way to the end. No, wait, all the way to the, at the very beginning of your Bible. Is that where it's supposed to be now? Revelations 5. Man, we read this. I love Revelations 5. This is what we get to do at, in eternity. Verse, verse 13. 
And, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and on, under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. In this vision of eternity, Apostle John writes and said that. That's why... That's why God responds to our commitment to do it. And that's why there is something particularly potent in prayer that are accompanied by the resolve to worship our God for all our days. It is for us to worship. Not just us, but everyone who knows Christ as Savior and Lord. So in closing... God has called us into that kind of covenant relationship in Jesus Christ. He is in it for the duration. He, he bound himself openly to us when his son hung publicly on the cross. God made good on his vow in Christ. Amen? Woo! When you read that, what a beautiful picture to know that God made a, a commitment in Christ that for us to to know Him in a personal level. And because He is a God of loyal love and enduring faithfulness, He calls us to be people who are characterized by the same kind of love and commitment. We too are bound by the vows we made openly to Him, the public commitments we have made, we made Him, we made to Him in truth. Those vows should be renewed every day, day after day, year after year. Right? It, it, it's not like at the year 2020, did you guys make any resolve? Right? Your resolution? Right? I resolve to be healthy. Right? Next thing you know, you're stuck. You can't go to the gym. Right? Whatever. But you probably, majority of you, praise God, right? Amen. That you made a resolution to, to be in your word to be in prayer, to be in fellowship. Oh man, man, 2020 hits like, whoa, we can't go to church all of a sudden. We can't meet up. But now we're meeting it here, outside, online at times, majority of the time. But here, church, King David made this vow to be with the Lord. We have this privilege, church. Those vows should be renewed. Not just, man, a lot of people will make a commitment or vows, God, I'm, I'm stuck, I'm, I'm in desperation. Help me. Once you do that, guess what, Lord, I'm going to be at church every week, I'm going to read the Bible every day, and then one week later, what happened? When God delivered you from your trials, from your difficulties, what happened to your commitment, what happened to your vows? You don't see that here in King David. He simply prayed, he cried out to God. But his, his desire was to be with him in his tent forever. If you really want to experience his protection, if you really want God, who is our rock, if you want his tower, if you want his refuge, in his tent, under his wings, we need to give ourselves persistently to prayerful pursuit of him. That's my call to you as a church. If this is what you see in chapter 61, verses 1 through 4, to really persistently pursue Him in everything 
and who you are. We need to give ourselves persistently to prayerful pursuit, continual praise to Him, and constant proclamation of this gospel truth. This is what we're called to do. This is what we see in the life of King David. Lead me, Lord, lead me to the rock. What is your commitment? In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your affliction, in the midst of all this chaos that's happened for the last couple of months, whatever state that you find yourself in, how are you pursuing God in your life? What is your commitment? As a man of God, how are you pursuing God? How are you, if you can't be here in worshiping and fellowshipping, if you're not reading your Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not serving in this matter, if you're not committing yourself as a husband, as a father, how are you going to lead? If you're not doing those things, don't expect yourself when, you, when your wives are, are complaining about your leadership because you're not doing this. Your wives, what are you doing of leading and worshiping? You single people, the time that you have, what are you doing and how you're pursuing God? Where is your priority when it comes to your walk with Christ? Because there's so many things that's happening in our lives today. We need to renew our commitment day by day. Wherever you are in your life, see that. See Him for who He is. Our Father, we pray and we thank you for this hour. We thank you that you are indeed our refuge. That when we cry out to you, God, you hear our prayers. That you listen. That you are not far away from us. That you are so near to us. That you are an unchanging God. Doesn't matter how things are changing in our lives, you remain the same. You have delivered us from our trials. You have delivered us from our affliction. You have delivered us even from our sins. And you remain faithful. Even in our unfaithfulness. Even at times, Lord, we, we don't trust you. God, I pray that you would help us. Help us how we are to live this, this truth before us today. We give you praise and we thank you for who you are in our lives. We thank you for the finished work of, of our Savior, Jesus Christ, on the cross. We thank you. We praise you.